G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Jeff Nagel from the International Justice Mission. Welcome along to 2020. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Neil. Thanks so much for having me on today. Uh, Jeff, let's just quickly uh, set up our conversation. Tell us a little more about the International Justice Mission. You've got an international uh, centre base. Uh, You've got a local... Uh, outfit here in Australia. How does all of that work uh, with your contacts internationally? Mm. Uh, International Justice Mission is actually headquartered in in Washington, D.C., and we operate uh, across 13 developing countries in 17 different different communities and then are supported by five five other funding countries, and, and IJM Australia is one of those one of those funding countries. We, we were established uh, back in 1997, and our global chief executive, Gary Haugen, and some of your listeners might have heard of, of Gary. Uh, some of them may have even seen a TED talk that he did last year. Uh, but Gary led the, uh, the UN investigation uh, into the Rwandan genocide in 1990, after 1994. And what he recognised in, in that investigation is that the poor simply don't have access uh, to, to justice that in the way that the rest of us would have a reasonable expectation that, that if things are going wrong, that we can call upon the police and we can rely upon, uh, rely upon the courts and upon judges to do the right thing and pro- provide a, a reasonable degree of protection. That's simply not the case for the poor. And so International Justice Mission was born out of that that realisation. Because it's interesting when you have uh, organisations that are working in uh, sex trafficking and rescuing oftentimes young women out of prostitution, those sorts of things. There's the rescue that happens, uh, but you guys are doing this on a whole lot of different levels and where you're actually enabling people who've been victims... Uh, to actually seek justice within their own country, uh, there's a there's a major dimension of what you do, which is not just in rescuing people. Yeah, that's right. And and in in some ways, it's a little bit complex to get some of these ideas across. Uh, if you think about it, particularly with an example such as sex trafficking, if we just rescue a victim, what we've succeeded in doing is in is increasing the number of victims. So if we rescue one girl or one boy out of sex trafficking, then then the pimp or the provider will simply go and procure uh, another child. So we've gone from traumatising one child to traumatising two. So so it is simply insufficient to to undertake rescue uh, on its own. Um, we we must rescue children. We must rescue um, women and families out of various kinds of modern day slavery. That has to happen, but it can't end there. If it ends with rescue alone, we're actually, we're, we're actually making the problem worse. Mm. 
Sometimes we think of sex trafficking and when that's connected to Australia, the idea of people who we would classify pedophiles uh, travelling internationally and... uh, and procuring young people uh, for their own sexual interest in that country. But when we start to talk about cyber sex trafficking, you've got people who are inclined uh, to be pedophiles, but they don't have to leave the comfort of their own home uh, to actually engage in this activity. Uh, sometimes people would think, well, if it's it's happening online, it's not really doing harm. But, mm. but the, the harm is, is just as much, isn't it, when the children are being exploited this way? Yeah, that that's right. We we've had we've had a lot of experience in in those traditional forms of commercial sexual exploitation of children. We uh, we've been focusing on on that work for the last uh, ten or twelve years in the Philippines and in Cambodia, particularly. And both of those nations have have got quite a reputation for being um, child sex hotspots. Um, you know, in, in various parts of Cambodia and the Philippines, children have simply been available for, for purchase right out in the open, right out in, in, in the streets. Um, you know, praise the Lord that we are we're seeing significant um, and sustained changes to that that reality. Um, in some of these notorious hotspots like Siem Reap in Cambodia or, or Pampanga in the Philippines. Um, it, it's nearly impossible now to to find children for for commercial sex, uh, and that is because the lo- local law enforcement are now um, trained, motivated, have have the capacity to be addressing those crimes in in their own right. So as we've seen this huge progress in that that commercial in situ exploitation of children, as we've seen that decrease. Uh, we've seen simultaneously what looks like an explosion in the increase of, of online sexual exploitation. And it turns out that it's, it's a very different crime. We initially thought that uh, with the great gains that we've made on the commercial side, that, that that crime type and that exploitation has simply gone underground. And the same pimps and the same providers had just taken their, their business online. But as we've investigated these cases, case after case, rescue after rescue, trial after trial, we're recognising they're not the same providers. They're not the same children. This is a, this is a very new and distinct crime type. And, and as you say, it doesn't involve... The, the a pedophile travelling from Australia to a, to to abuse children um, in situ in in the Philippines or, or in Cambodia, but that abuse is being commissioned and paid for in real time over the internet, and and while an abuser, while a pedophile here in Australia um, may feel as though their their crime is a is a virtual one there is still a very real child on on the other end of that transaction who is suffering very real abuse and the 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 nature of this crime because it's carried out over the internet the potential is there for many more children 
vast numbers of children to be impacted. So we've seen a morphing of the big challenge. Uh, it's not as much, and uh, I'm sure there would be people, uh, including yourself, who were celebrating the idea that those numbers of uh, pedophile abuse cases were on the decline because of the uh, reference to them, because of the uh, the prominence that they'd been given, and uh, and it was like uh, people had been exposed in that, and and uh, people coming from Australia to other nations, uh, developing nations involved in those sorts of crimes. But when that's that that morphing that happens, as you say, a whole new field of crime has opened up because of the internet, uh, because of cyber sex trafficking. Uh, What are the facts that we would be able to understand, Jeff, about uh, the numbers of of people who are involved in this type of thing, Uh, Australians who may be involved in this type of thing? What are the facts that you can share with us? Yeah, and and this is one of the challenges that we have. Uh, IJM is very, very committed to, to working with solid data. So we, we want to understand the prevalence of a particular crime so that we can understand the impact that we have on that prevalence um, through, through our various interventions. And this particular crime type is very difficult to understand its prevalence. Um, the, some of the indicators that we do have so far is the number of referrals that the Philippines National Police have been receiving from other international agencies over the last few years. So, for, for example, um, if, if the Australian Federal Police has identified um, you know, particular online pedophile activity in Australia, uh, if they've been able to do some sort of forensic analysis of computer and, um, uh, and, and mobile phone equipment and it's implicated children in the Philippines, then they can, they can package that information up and that becomes a referral to the Philippines National Police. Now, in 2014, the PNP uh, were receiving around about 1,000 referrals every single month regarding um, child sexual abuse material in the Philippines. 1,000 referrals every month in 2014. That doubled in 2015. So they received, on average, 2,000 referrals every single month uh, in the first three months of this year, we understand this anecdotally just in direct conversation with the PNP, January, February, March, they received 18,005 referrals. So an average of 6,000 a month in the, in the first quarter of this year. Now, some of that increase will be improvements in reporting, some of it will be a sheer increase in the in the prevalence of that particular crime. Similarly, the, the Australian Federal Police uh, had, I think in 2014, I think they had about 4,500 referrals um, in, in Australia, and I think that was around 11,000 in 2015. So, so we are seeing these, these what appears to be um, incredible growth in in the prevalence of this crime converting that to real numbers real numbers of pedophiles real numbers of, of victims this is one of the the gaps that we have at the moment 
there, there are a number of, of agencies globally who are trying to get a, their head around this crime so that we can investigate it uh, and, and, pros, and prosecute um, perpetrators. But it is a very, very slippery crime type, very difficult to track, difficult to investigate. Um, but our, our understanding at this moment is it, it is it is growing horribly. Jeff, let me ask you about the Christian heartbeat of your organisation, the International Justice Mission, because uh, for a lot of Christian believers, uh, we recognise the call upon our lives uh, to take the gospel uh, to everywhere and uh, bring that gospel, which is this message of reconciliation, a sinful mankind reconciled to a righteous God. Uh, sometimes we don't always appreciate that carrying that message also comes uh, with a uh, another dimension of the resistance of evil. And uh, so to be talking to an, an organization like uh, yours today and uh, hearing your heartbeat, I wonder whether you can enlarge a little bit on the Christian foundations and the motivation for what you're doing with International Justice Mission. Sure. Well, you know, God, God is a God of justice, isn't he? You know, we, we see that right right at the, the at the, the foundation and the formation of creation, he 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 declared a creation that was that was good, that was just, and and that was righteousness, that was righteous. And then through the fall, we see the 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 breaking down of relationships between God and man, and and amongst all of creation itself, this this fracturing uh, of relationships. And we actually understand that fracturing. As, as injustice. And we see throughout the Old Testament the, um, the Old Testament prophets calling us to, to justice and, and to righteousness. And you can't read, for example, Isaiah without being, being struck by this central theme of justice and, and righteousness. And, and at its very essence, it is about the restoration of God's created order. It is about the restoring of, of relationships. We see uh, the exodus out out of slavery as an that's an act of justice of reckon of reconciling right right relationship um, and and even then through the through the New Testament we see that we are called to this ministry of reconciliation restoring relationships uh, to to something that that resembles God's created order so. So it's in it's in the heart of God, and He's established that within within us as well. Is this this desire and mandate um, to to be reconcilers, and part part of that at one end um, simply requires rescue. You know, we we see this narrative throughout Scripture of God is a rescuing God. Well. That has to mean something to to a young child who who is in enslaved in cyber sex trafficking. That has to mean something to the family who who is caught in uh, generational bonded labour in in India. Uh, there there has to be that that component of of rescue and and restoration. And at the same time, the the abusers, the, the ones who are committing injustice, the ones who are abusing a position of power, uh, need to be held to account. Um, there, there needs to be some some sort of a, a penalty and recognition of of the injustice that is being perp- perpetrated. 
both for the, for the perpetrator on their own uh, and also as a, as a demonstra- demonstration to other perpetrators or would-be perpetrators. So we, we, we very much see that, um, you know, our God is a God of justice and as we encounter our God of justice, we, we cannot help but be, be pursuing justice, um, you know, with, with whatever agency that we have. And by definition, that means going into the darkest of darkest places where the light needs to be shone. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. A sensitive issue to discuss this hour and our talkback line open if you'd like to participate. 1-800-316-316. Jeff Nagel is our guest. He's the Australian Chief Executive of the International Justice Mission. We are talking about cyber sex trafficking and the victims of cyber sex trafficking. Uh, when we talk, Jeff, about the justice systems and, you know, we've been discussing the fact that we're not just talking about rescuing children out of vulnerable situations of child abuse, uh, cyber sex trafficking abuse. Uh, But we're also talking about ways in which you can be an advocate for those victims in those nations, places like the Philippines, and you mentioned Cambodia. Uh, Those places, uh, there's an opportunity here, isn't there, for Christian believers to be a part of the transformation of a justice system because you're working with authorities Uh, You're bringing in those sorts of initiatives that will help to transform what happens and to put a stop to this idea of cyber sex trafficking. When we talk about a justice system transformation, what does that what does that uh, inspire in you? Mm, Good, good question. Uh, Justice system transformation is at the heart of IJM's theory of change. So, like we mentioned before, it's it's not enough to simply. Uh, rescue a victim out, out of some particular form of slave, slavery or abuse. We, we need to catalyse some sort of change in the system that should be providing protection against that kind of abuse in, in the first place. So if, if we think about um, the, the justice system in, in Australia, and it will include law enforcement, it will include public prosecutors and courts and judges, uh, it will c- include social welfare agencies to, to help in the recovery of, um, of, of victims or survivors of abuse and we can have a reasonable degree of confidence uh, that, that that system is functional. Now there's plenty of examples, I'm sure lots of people would be able to call out where it hasn't functioned the way that it should um, and it's good that we do that because each time we, we point out a failing of that justice system, then that can help to bring some sort of strengthening or, or, or remedy. Now, if you think about that same justice system in, in, in a developing world context, think of it as a pipeline. So there are a number of sections of pipe that should join up together and through that pipeline, if injustice goes in at, at one end, there should be some reasonable expectation that a degree of justice comes out the other end. In many developing world scenarios, that broken, fractured justice system can actually manufacture even more injustice. Uh, a, a victim or a survivor who's trying to, to access that just, justice system can be more traumatised through engaging with it 
um, than than not. So what what we've been able to identify is that if you if you think about commercial sexual exploitation in the Philippines, um, a child has been has been trafficked by a brothel owner, um, and we would we we would get some sort of a lead to understand that he's a tr- he's a child who's being abused. We would engage with local law enforcement to to investigate that crime, to determine whether a crime is indeed taking place. Where is it taking place? We we would work with local law enforcement to set up some sort of a sting operation where we would catch um, a, a, a customer and a pimp making some sort of a financial transaction. We would conduct a raid at that point where the children are, are rescued and and both the customer and the pimp are, are arrested. Um, then we engage with the, the public prosecutor and help to help to build a case against the against the provider. Um, that case is heard in in court, and ideally the the judges is handing down a a, a a meaningful sentence that they have a good understanding of the law. Um, so as as we do that case after case after case, we can identify what what components of that pipeline, what sections of that pipeline are working, which ones are clogged, which ones are broken. Uh, it could be a matter of corruption. It could be a matter of under-resourcing. It could be a lack of training. It could be a, like a, a raft of different factors that have meant that that injustice isn't going in one end and, and justice coming out the other. There's something wrong with the pipeline. And see, it's only when we crawl through that pipe in partnership with local agencies, case after case after case, that we know where the leaks are, where the cracks are, where the clogs are. And then we can work in partnership with local authorities to remedy those through training, capacity building, um, you know, building political will within the broader government system. And so we, we've actually seen tremendous gains across the globe through that model of justice system transformation. So when we work in partnership with local authorities, case after case, after case in the trenches, um, we know where the issues are and we can begin to apply remedy to the point where they no longer require IJM's assistance. Uh, some more to talk about with justice system transformation. We're taking calls one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take a call from Deb in Woodbury in Queensland. Hello, Deb. Thanks for waiting patiently. Yes, I had a question for. Um, I was listening to him about the sex trafficking. How can we, um, I guess, say, make this active in our community to make this aware to public places that those companies that are allowing, like, porn and the, the sex surfing sites to block those? How do we, who, do we, who do we go to and how can we get this started? Because even in our local library here in Yampoon, they have two sections, a child section and an adult section. And the adult section has porn, and there were people surfing porn and and uh, sexting last week in the middle yeah. of the, in the library. So I just wanted to get a question. I was asking a question about how to how do you rally up people to make them aware of how serious this is. Yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a great question, and and I think I think I think as Christians, the first thing that we need to 
need to be considering is, it's like, are, are we even talking about these issues in church? You know, I've, I think we, as a nation, we, we have been going through and we're still in the midst of this royal commission into the institutional responses to, to child abuse. Yet we're seeing the potential for an even more significant royal commission with this particular online set of crimes. Now, in, in the past, for whatever reason, the church has provided uh, the, the, this confluence of both supply and impunity that, that led to some sort of systemic abuse of, 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 of children in various institutions. Well, we're seeing a similar thing now with, with this online abuse. You've got this incredible supply of vulnerable children made possible through the internet, and you have uh, impunity for abusers. One, because it's hard to track this crime, but the other impunity comes from the fact that it's being normalised. So if we're, if we're looking at porn in public libraries, my goodness, like you... Um, that that's a demonstration of impunity right there. So, you know, as, as a generation of, of believers, what's our response to this? Are we, are we ensuring that we're having conversations in, um, in our congregations appropriately uh, about these kinds of, these kinds of issues? I'll need to cut um, in, Jeff, because we're about to go to news. Uh, just to honour Deb, thanks for raising that issue, Deb, and, uh, and those conversations need to be had, and perhaps raising those with your local library too would be a useful thing. Uh, what about modern-day slavery and the need to be vigilant? What are your thoughts about uh, the extent of modern-day slavery today, Jeff? Mm. Yeah, we, we sometimes can fall into that trap of thinking that that slavery was a, was a historical thing, can't we? Uh, but as, as we're seeing today, as our reporting is getting better and, and better, uh, we're seeing that that modern-day slavery um, is, is more brutal uh, and more vast than than potentially at any time, other time in history. Um, we also believe that it's more stoppable at, at any point in time in history. But right at the moment, the, the, the current figures that are being circulated are in the vicinity of 45.8 million people currently in, in various forms of modern-day slavery. And, and it's interesting that it was only last year the figure that, that came out from the Global Slavery Index um, was, was around 36 million. So it was almost 10 million um, less. And it's not, it's not that slavery has grown by that incredible number in that 12 months. It's that our, our ability to report on the data is improving. And the potential exists that the, the real number could be much higher, could be much higher than 45-point 8 million people, which is vast indeed when you consider that in, in comparison to the population of our own nation, which is, what, 20, 23 million, something, something in that vicinity. And here we are. Here we are in modern Australia, and we would think we're a little bit immune because uh, we're a developed country, a prosperous nation, uh, even Christian foundations to, to who we are as a nation. But but there is a sense, isn't there, that this new and modern form of slavery uh, can happen, as we were saying a little earlier, from the comfort of your own lounge room. 
and you can be participating in what is actually a slavery activity. And uh, and I wonder whether you have some reflection on whether Australian people and typical Aussies actually think of uh, what they might be doing online as contributing to this idea of slavery. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a that's a great point. Over the last few years, we've we've certainly had it dragged into our consciousness about slavery that exists in various supply chains. So whether you know the garment industry has had a lot of focus over a number of years, and I think we're being we're being very proactive now uh, about ensuring that that the garments that we buy um, that they that, that there's not the abuse of uh, of, of people in in that supply chain, and you know, Baptist World Aid, for example, has just done an outstanding job of calling that into our our, our consciousness and our mindfulness. Um, in the seafood industry, is another example where there's you know this this vast and brutal slavery, for example, in um, uh, the Gulf of Thailand with the the seafood industry there. Uh, also, cosmetics. Mica, the glittery stuff that we see in in makeup and nail polish, you know, another horribly brutal slavery industry, um, incense sticks, and and so on. It's so we we are connected into the supply chain um, as consumers of many many different forms of modern day slavery. It's interesting that some of the some of the largest forms of modern day slavery where we're not necessarily connected in with, with those supply chains. So some of those in India, for example, are um, brick factories, rock quarries. Uh, we, we've had rescues where we've had, you know, three, four, five hundred people, hundreds of families that have been rescued in one go from, from brick factories and rock quarries in India. Well, we don't necessarily touch those in, in our supply chain. But this... this Sex trafficking, yes, we would have recognised that, you know, an Australian pedophile travelling to the Philippines or Cambodia or some other um, developing nation, you know, there's probably, we, we would draw the link logically there that that, that is somebody who's participating not, not only in illegal and, and vile act, um, but they're also, you know, directly engaging in, um, in modern day slavery. Well, the same is true with this with this online crime, where you've got a uh, a pedophile here in Australia who is commissioning in real time the abuse of very young children. Um, well, those those children are being held and and manipulated and obviously abused um, in the most horrible ways uh, against their will in in a in a bona fide form of, of modern day slavery, and like yes, there has to be something very wrong uh, f- for somebody to commission that kind of abuse. Anyhow, but you know, Jeff, let me right. let me ask you about some of the techniques uh, or the methods of actually uh, putting a stop to. Uh, this cyber sex trafficking, because uh, it's one thing and quite difficult, as I understand it, to be able to track what people might be doing on the internet, although there is a trail that's being left there. Uh, But there is also another trail, the tracking of financial transactions. 
How does that contribute uh, with the online tracking that can happen uh, to be able to identify people who are involved in this uh, level of uh, online exploitation? Yeah, uh, it, 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 is, it is one of the, the components of the crime. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a commercial crime. There, there is a transaction that will take place, say, between Australia and the Philippines, um, and they're, they're often quite small sums of money. So during that grooming phase, which might might just take place on Facebook, for example, um, there's a mutual testing between customer in Australia and provider in the Philippines. So the customer here is testing whether the provider in the Philippines is is going to be able to deliver um, what, what the customer wants. The provider in the Philippines is testing whether this customer is really going to be good for the money. So we see some of these small financial transactions taking place and that will just happen through Zoom money or Western Union or one of a multitude of other money transfer facilities that are on every street corner in the Philippines. And then once once some sort of uh, agreement is made between customer and provider, uh, it'll switch to another platform such as Skype, some sort of real-time face-to-face um, service. And that's, that's where the customer will commission what they want to happen to that child or to those children, um, which we don't need to go into. No, no, no. Um, and and so, so then there are certain sums of money that are, that are provided even during that show. So as the customer requests um, more, more and more, um, you know, diff- difficult acts, confronting acts to be performed, then you know there, there are larger sums of money that are that are sent. So, so there is something of a pattern that can be observed, and so tracking that in partnership with organisations like Oztrack, um, that, that's a critical piece of the investigative process. Well, this is interesting because your organisation is working with authorities. And uh, in Australia, I guess, the Australian Federal Police, and you mentioned Oztrac, uh, well, these authorities are very much on side. They are wanting to combat these things happening as well. And there's a good affiliation, a good association between uh, what you're doing there with the International Justice Mission and uh, the pursuits of people like the Australian Federal Police. Yeah, so our focus is very much in, in the Philippines. So, so the AFP and Task Force Argos and other law enforcement units here in Australia are doing a, a, a tremendous job and have recognised the degree of cross-departmental and agency collaboration that's required to, to squash this. Uh, but we absolutely rely on the investigative work that's done here in Australia in order to uh, inform what's going on in the Philippines. So the, the case that was on uh, the 7.30 program two weeks ago, it was following an Australian man, Kyle Dawson, Brisbane man, uh, who had made the mistake of recording some of these live shows so that he could share them down the track or watch them again himself. So it was in, it was in the process of storing and sharing that he made a mistake and there was actually evidence there that could be, um, could be tracked down and presented as, as evidence. Um, in that stored material was the evidence that was required by the Philippines National Police to actually in, investigate the, that crime of supply on the Philippines 
end. So it was the ABC did a tremendous job of tracing that the two crimes: the crime of commissioning here in Australia, and the crime of supply in the Philippines, and just the degree of collaboration across multiple um, agencies in two different countries that were were required just in this one case. Yeah, it's it's a major issue to deal with it, and the numbers are uh, very, very significant. But when you can raise the profile of one particular case, it brings to the attention, really, of, uh, of the whole nation uh, the seriousness of the challenge that's being faced, and therefore you can actually help to bring about what we've been talking about with the transformation of a justice system. But part of that, of course, not only transformation of a justice system, but transformation of a national attitude toward these things. Uh, that's that's where a big challenge is, isn't it, Jeff? Uh, in changing ordinary people's attitudes and bringing people to an awareness of the the size of the challenge that's being faced. Yeah, that's right. So I think that that change of attitude takes place on a number of different levels. So at at the at the very basic level, there has to be a change in attitude. Uh, for example, in the in the mind of the provider in the Philippines. So they, these are business people, right? They're just they're operating on a margin, and they're they're wanting to provide um, a, a service for which there is low risk and and high reward. Well, as as these crimes starting to be, as they're being investigated, as people are being arrested and people are going to prison for very significant periods of time in the Philippines. Well, word gets around and all of a sudden that, that risk equation changes in the minds of would-be providers. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll find another lower risk way of, um, of, of earning some money. And so we've, we've seen that time and time again um, in the way that we operate, that the, the risk equation in the mind of effectively business owners changes and they will exit that, that line of work. Well, the same has to happen here in Australia because we've got a crime of supply and demand. And while we might change the risk equation on the supply side, the same has to be true on, on the demand side here in, here in Australia. And as Deb mentioned before, the previous caller, we've got a situation at the moment where, where the procurement of pornography is, is being normalised within, within our society. And, and we think that that's a, that's a very, very slippery slope indeed and, and provides a, de, a degree of um, a desensitisation socially uh, with, on, on this demand side. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Jeff Nagel, the Australian Chief Executive of International Justice Mission, has been our guest through this hour. We've been talking through all sorts of issues to do with cyber sex trafficking and the way that child abuse online has morphed. Uh, We've been talking about the ways that people can take action. Uh, Jeff, as we just draw some loose ends together, uh, there is this idea of, you know, uh, when we spend some time on our knees in prayer which is an important aspect. Uh, we hope that God will intervene and stop the violence and the abuse of children. How do you reflect on this idea of what God does in his plan mm. to stop violence? Mm. God, I think, and I'm not alone in this at, at IJM, we think, we believe, that we're simply cooperating and joining in work that God is already doing. 
so we we know through scripture that his his heart is very much inclined towards the poor and towards the oppressed and towards the those who are not free and those who do not have a voice his his heart and and his grace and the power of his spirit is already present in those places and so when when IJM steps into the darker scenarios imaginable we are potentially the only the only people group on the planet as Christians who can look that evil squarely in the eye and not lose hope mm. and and not think for for a moment that Christ is not already there um, we, we we know through his promises in the scripture that that is where he has chosen to locate himself you know is, is in those in those dark places so we're not going in alone we we've been very deliberate around the globe in in understanding our identity as an organization it's a christian community of spiritual formation and this is one of the things that i absolutely love about ijm we're a christian community of spiritual formation and we recognize that the work of justice not only requires that we pay attention to our spiritual formation so that we are equipped for this work of justice but it actually informs the work of justice so we we, we un- understand spiritual formation and justice as these like mutually perpetuating dynamics of the kingdom. So as we encounter the God of justice, he, he equips us for participation in, in his work. Uh, it's not something that we're pursuing out of our own strategy and our own might. We're, we're cooperating with, with what he is already doing. So that manifests itself in some very practical ways in our IJM offices in 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 every office around the globe, uh, we all start with a with a half an hour of um, a stillness at 8:30 in the morning. So any IGM office you would visit, eight, there is 8:30 stillness, and it, it's recognizing that this is the Lord's work that we're participating in. It's something that he, that he is he is already fully and totally committed to. Is, is pursuing this reconciliation of all things. And that time of stillness is a, is a recognition that the work is his, that we are laborers and participants in, in, in his mission and that the glory is, is his as well. Uh, there, there's a rhythm of, of retreats in all of our offices. And, you know, for example, tomorrow is a, is a quarterly retreat for, for IJM Australia. And so... We, we will come together as a team and we will deliberately remember whose work we are we are participating in. And interestingly too, um, I've found that, that the way I read scripture has changed over recent years. So as I deliberately in, engage with the word of God, understanding that when, when in scripture we're reading about slavery, where it's not a metaphor for something. It's it's slavery, and like, yes, we are all enslaved to sin. But in very very real and practical terms, you know, the Word of God is talking about people who are in slavery, who are literally in chains, who are literally captive, who are literally the possessions and playthings of another. And when when I read Scripture through that 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 literal lens of slavery and oppression, uh, it it allows my spirit to be awakened to to God's heart for justice. 
and, and my desire to be uh, paying attention to what he's doing and cooperating with, with that agenda. Jeff, International Justice Mission, where are you based? Are we talking to you today from, is it Sydney you are today? Yeah, our, our Australian office is in Chatswood. Okay, all right. So for listeners in New South Wales and uh, particularly those who are in Sydney, uh, I imagine uh, that there'd be opportunity for people to connect with you directly. For others listening in other states around Australia, uh, the opportunity to connect with International Justice Mission by going to your website. Uh, remind us uh, your website uh, for International Justice Mission, Jeff. Uh, what is your website? It is ijm.org.au. Okay, it's easy to remember. ijm.org.au for listeners who'd like to connect. I imagine that there's ways that you would like to uh, connect with listeners around the country and uh, for people who want to be uh, part of uh, a prayer foundation, for those who might like to contribute financially, for those who might even like to become physically involved in the good work that you're doing with International Justice Mission, I'll encourage listeners to make some connection, ask some questions and connect with our special guest today. Jeff Nagel is the Australian Chief Executive of International Justice Mission. It's been an important conversation today. It's been an eye-opener conversation, Jeff, and I want to thank you for taking your time to share those things and your heartbeat with us today here on 2020. Thanks so much. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.